0: Let's open in prayer, and then we'll get moving. And we definitely invite your interaction you know, during these times, for sure. Father, we love you. We're grateful for giving us this time together. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Thank you for their heart for their children, their heart for you and raising their children. I pray, Lord, that during these sessions, you would impart encouragement, strength, courage, wisdom, and understanding to each parent here and that you would um, lift them up and that you would empower them and equip them to be the best parents that they can be and that they would parent through the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that you would have the maximum impact in their family. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. So, let me open up. It's a little awkward holding the, the one mic here. Um, Psalm chapter twenty 127, I'm going to read just a couple of verses here. I, w- I want to start out encouraging everybody again. I mean, you've heard this mantra from us because this is a passion to us. Um, we started out, many of you know our story probably. You know, I, f- I forget this when I tell stories and all that and whether people have heard them or not, but... The Lord really changed our hearts. Our mindset towards children when we were first married and when we were actually in ministry was completely worldly. It was everything that we'd heard. It was, oh, it's going to be hard. They're too much of a burden. They're too expensive. Um, and, And so that's kind of the way that we thought. And because we thought that way, we had a boy and a girl, and we thought, oh, we're good. We have a boy and a girl. And I was trying to start a business, not very successfully, working really hard but not making any money. And I was also working at church on staff, not making any money there. And we were really busy with everything that we had, and we thought, yeah, we're good. It just doesn't make sense to have any more children right now. This is too stressful to think about and a, and B, how are, how are we going to pay for these babies? I mean, that's me. That's the man thing of going, <laughs> I can hardly pay for any bills. How am I going to pay for babies? we got more babies coming. Well, how is that going to work out? So we had a discussion together and said, okay, in our situation now, how is this going to work? I'm trying to start a business. I'm on staff at the church, and life is really hectic and busy, and we have two beautiful Children, we have a, our boy and our girl, and are we good or are we not good? And so we had the conversation, and we decided well, that's probably the best decision is, is just to not have any more children because it doesn't really make sense up here to do that. So I said, I said, baby, now I'll step up and be the man and I'll take care of this, but I don't want you coming back in a year and go, I go let's decide if we're going to do it let's do it I'll be the guy I'll step up I'll get the snip and we'll discontinue this process but I don't want that to be coming back so she was like okay I think this is the right thing so I had a vasectomy after we had our second child and um, found out the, the Lord wasn't in that decision Um, we wrestled with it. Diane was the first one, like usually is, with the wife being more intuitive and more sensitive to the Lord is saying this, and she felt these stirrings about having more children, but she was afraid to talk to me about it because we had already closed that chapter, and so when she would mention it lightly, I said, we already talked about this. That chapter is it's closed. We're not we're not having more children, right? We've already decided this. Um, I've already had surgery, it's not possible. We're not having more children. And she just kept praying. And
1: I'll just say here that I mean, I knew okay, the Bible does tell women that they're supposed to honor their husbands. So, like, Lord, I can't argue with him about this. Like, that's not gonna get to where you want. This to be by me arguing and fighting with him, like I'm supposed to honor him. I'm not supposed to fight with him. So every day I'd put the kids down for their naps and I would go to praying. And I prayed, Father, please give us children to raise up to the praise of your glory. I can't tell you how many times that phrase just stuck in me and came out of me. Give us children to raise up to the praise of your glory. And I did cry with a loud voice.
0: Yes, and so for me, I didn't want to hear that. I I don't know what happened, but I shut that page in my heart. I really did. I just That was over. Okay, we made this decision. That's done. We're not going there. And whenever it would come up, I'd be like, no, we've already decided. That's not what we're doing. And the Lord was not okay with that. And so it felt like this to me. Like every day when I'd get up and go to work, it was like, This, the Lord here, this is what I want to talk to you about. Like, really? This is what you want to, can we talk about anything else? I mean, no, he's like, this is what I want to talk to you about. And I'm like, "I, I don't want to talk about that. Like, we've already settled that. We're not doing that. And it was really, I mean, honestly, it was, I believe, in my whole life of walking with Jesus, this was the biggest struggle that I had obeying the Lord ever. I was so hard for me. And I was like, no, I shut it. I was in, I, I describe it this way, and this is a really pretty good description. I was writhing in my spirit in agony. I was writhing. I was like, God, no, we can't do this. And I, I had these conversations with the Lord, and this went on for a few months, and I felt like I was in agony of soul. My wife was praying and causing it, but, um, <laughs> but it was the Lord because of his purpose for us. And so I finally got to the place Well, I remember distinctly, I'm driving my truck, I'm going to the job one day, and I am like, here we are again. He's like, this is what I want to talk to you about. Look, can we talk about the Bible? There's lots of good stuff in there. And he's like, no, this is what I want to talk to you about. And I, I said to the Lord this, and this was the turning point. I said, Lord, I acknowledge that you're dealing with me about this, and I don't I cried. I said, I don't want to harden my heart against you. But I said, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't know why, but my heart is just closed against this. I'm afraid because the most money I've ever made in a year so far is the first three years in business $17,000 gross in three years combined, $4,000, $5,000. I mean, it, it was bad. So I hadn't even made, I don't know if I'd even made $10,000 a year at that point, And I'm working 60 hours. And I'm like, <laughs> my mama lied to me when she said I could do anything I wanted to do and be anything. Like, That's a lie. I, I suck at this. And so I, I was afraid. How am I going to take care of these kids? And and I felt like I didn't, I wasn't adequate in any way. And so I said, I don't want to harden my heart against you Would I'm acknowledging right now, I'm not lying against the truth. You're dealing with me about this, but I can't change I said, I can't do this. Would you change my heart and make me want to do what you want me to do? When I said that, something shifted in my heart. Like That was like a key that unlocked something, and it began in a process, but within a few, maybe three, four months, I would say I did a 180 in my heart. And I was like, okay, let's do this thing. Mm-hmm. Let's get this done. And so we started, we had the money problem for one thing. Um, we started looking around and and trying to find out, okay, well, how much would it cost to get a reversal? And the cheapest price that we could find anywhere in the area was like $15,000, which is twice as much as I'd ever made in a year. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you know, that doesn't work, does it? And um, He was like, don't worry. (laughs) So somebody told us about a doctor in Texas, New Braunfels, Texas, which is near Austin. And he was a believer, urologist, and he did reversals as a ministry for 1,500 bucks. Because he loved children, he just had a passion for it. So Doc Leverett, we went to see him in Texas. And he was so excited to see us there. He's like, I'm so excited for you guys doing this right thing. Like the Lord is, you know, he's into children. And our hearts were beginning to change. And I remember the sign on his desk. It said, Doc Leverett, PP doctor. And um, he played worship music during the whole time and, um, you know, got got the surgery done. He said, look, um, this is a percentage game, like, don't expect that you're going to get pregnant necessarily right away, that you're playing a percentage game. I forget what he said the percentages were. The, l- the longer you had already had vasectomy, then the lower the percentages were that it's going to work. And we said, you know what, we, we've got to try. This is what the Lord is, is calling us to do. And um, I can tell you guys, like, the vasectomy is like a zero on the scale and the reversal is like a hundred on the scale. So if you get what I'm talking about, Super painful. And um, my wife laughed at me. Because <laughs> I walked like a 95-year-old man during that time when we were coming back and we'd get stop at a restaurant to eat or whatever and she'd just be like, she'd start laughing. I said, don't you laugh. <laughs> so um, when we got back and I, I healed up, the, the reality is the first time that we got back together, she got pregnant with our son, Landon, who is now in Manchester, England, evangelizing Muslims. That's a real thing. Like the Lord answered like that, this is what I want. I want you to raise up children for my glory. I want you to raise up godly seed for me. And my questions weren't answered. I mean, I remember in that season of my life, so many times I'm in the shower after work, and I'm just crying out to God, saying, "God, God, how am I going to take care of these babies? What in the world? You know what my income is; it's like really low. How am I going to take care of these babies?" And I felt like the Lord. He spoke to me one time in particular. I remember it very clearly. I'm in the shower, washing up, and He spoke to me and said, "I'm going to take care of everything that has to do with these children." And I just literally said out of my mouth, say it again. Say it again. No, no, I need you to say it again. Say, say that to me every day of my life. Like you're going to take care of everything that I need because I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to supply or take care of, of those children. And he did. And there was a time several years later, so as you guys know, we've had seven children, five more after that, and 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 when I think about that season, and and that decision, and how critical that was, and 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 I tremble when I think of Landon and Wesley and Carissa and Brennan and Malia that would not be here if God had not have shifted my heart, and I'm like couldn't see my own fear was blinding me to something that had so much eternity in it but i couldn't see and i rationalized it in my head and like god i can't do this and he pressed me to the wall and goes no you are because this is my purpose i want you to do this i want these children for myself and this isn't just for us this is a shift from worldly mind to godly mind and I'm not saying, and we never have tried to project upon people, you should have all the children that you possibly can. Like That's not what we believe we're trying to project at. We just, if fear with fear and trembling, said, Lord, this is in your hands, however many you want. That's how many we want to have. Like, But just show us, because we're scared. And that was a real thing. But the Lord has been so faithful, and I can tell you a true testimony to the glory of God is that There were years later when we had all of our children, I was looking at, you know, they used to send in the mail um, your Social Security statement and they showed your earnings for, you know, all, all the years that you've had earnings. And they show your projected, you know, if you retired after next year, whatever, you'd make this much. But I looked at that and this is what happened. Every year when we had another child, my income went boom. Boom, 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 every single one. And the Lord's like, remember what I told you in the shower? Like, that's what I do. When you obey me, that's what I do. I want these children, and I'm going to take care of them. And I'm going to provide for them. And he's been so faithful. I'm not saying that's everybody's story, but I'm saying that's God's great heart. He loves children. So remind you of Malachi. Chapter 2, he's talking about to the children of Israel, you know, I hate divorce. Don't deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. I don't want you to destroy and break up your marriage. And then he gives the reason why. Because I desire godly seed from your union. This is why I made you one. That's what it says. Malachi 2.15. I made you one. Why did I make you one? Because I desire godly seed. He wants those children. Like, they're important to him, and he wants his people to embrace and to have the heart for children that he has. Like, this is the beginning of being able to raise children well is actually feeling and tasting the Lord's heart for children, and how much He longs for them to be raised up in an environment and in an atmosphere where there are parents that love Jesus, and there are parents that love their children, and they're going to be raised in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. And it's a huge value to the Father. He loves that, and. I feel it now, and I've felt it over and over again from that moment, but I can tell you I was completely blind to it for a long time. Yet I preached from the Bible, yet I said I believe God, but I was completely blind to God's heart for children. Worldly-minded is what I was. And that kind of language, I'm not throwing anybody into the bus, but I lived in a community where all the believers talk like that. You know, if one woman said to another one, are you pregnant? They'd be like, get away from me. I'm like, that grieves me now. Really? Like, the Lord says that children are an inheritance that he gives us. No, I don't want God's inheritance. He says that they're a blessing. No, I don't want God's blessing. He says that they're arrows in your quiver. He says that... If you have them, you'll be blessed and you won't be ashamed, right? So I'm like rejecting in my own mind the very blessing of God that's going to bring eternity into my life and into our lives in a greater way than I could have ever imagined, and that's the truth. I mean, our children, we talk about it all the time. It's not like we're, you know, we'll get into this. We, we've had lots of fails, and we did not know what we were doing when we started out, I can tell you. But here's the Lord's heart. He's like, That's okay. That's no hindrance to me. If you'll bring your ignorance to me, then I will train you and I will help you and I will give you grace. Doesn't mean we won't fail. Look, we are very far from perfect parents. Guys, you should not think that at all. That's not true. What happened is we cried out to the Lord in our weakness. And the Lord answered us, and he began to give us wisdom. And, and what we want to do in these sessions is we want to try to share with you our fails and our wins and how the Lord has helped us to see things that we couldn't see and how we navigated through the hard times where we cried, you know. I've told the story before. There was a season in our life when, when Landon came. So he was, he was the first blessing of the Lord after, you know, I responded in obedience to him. And then we had Wesley, and those were our two hard, hardest kids. Like, they were super hard. They couldn't get along with each other, and they both had their issues. Like, it was really hard. And and I would say during that maybe year and a half season or so, half of the days that I came home from work, my wife was crying. It was so hard. And, like, do we regret that now? We don't even remember that. We see these boys, and we're like, God, you're amazing. We see our boys. they there, one in Manchester, Wesley's in the Dominican Republic, they, they just had their first baby, he and Gabby, like, that's baby, grandbaby number 12. So Ellie, she's awesome, she's beautiful, like, we're believing God, before I die, I want 25 grandchildren, I'm not kidding, because they are a blessing and inheritance from the Lord, and here's, here's how you know our kids were raised in a large family so you would think oh well they they didn't get your attention they but they they loved it and most of them have the heart like we won't have a lot of children our our daughter shana lord willing like she's gonna pass us for sure i'm like i'm cheering for you go girl um because they're a treasure like you're you're not going to lose receiving more inheritance from the lord are you But we we view it from a natural standpoint. But the beginning, in my view, of of good parenting as believers is to actually catch hold of God's heart for children. Because the reality is there's lots of hard days. There's lots of sacrifice. There's lots of right? You have young children? Mick, lose any sleep? (laughs) Right? Is it is hard. But I can tell you from our vantage point now, when our youngest daughter's 21 now, we've been through that cycle and it's it all feels like blessing to us. And even though we remember, it's it's not the thing that sticks out the most. What what strikes our hearts is when we look at each other and go, I think Diane said this to me just the other day, sometime this week, can you believe how blessed we are with the children that God's given us? Like, And we're both like, No, this is incredible. This is incredible. Like we still feel it. It's real. But that's God imparting his heart. And so one of the things that I would love to do, and and you hear me doing the little short exhortations, because I want to plant in the hearts of believers the seed of God's passion for children. And look, here's the thing. If the Lord loves them so much, he's for sure going to help you. Like, that's what you know. You can have confidence and faith that the Lord is going to help you to raise your children and to give you wisdom. Now, does it happen overnight? No. Like, we talk with people that have, there's a lot of issues with children, and the wisdom on how to deal with them doesn't come in, usually, in a single download. And, you oh, we just write down, okay, we're good now for the next 10 years. No. It's one thing at a time, but the Lord loves us to be dependent upon him but maintaining the heart for children is just a huge, it's a huge value to the Lord and his kingdom. And I can tell you from experience, like he blesses your life. Honestly, the reason that the Lord gave us the home that he gave us, this is, this is the reason, is because we committed to him, we're, we're going to raise however many children you want. Dude, I still have the expedition that I bought in 1998, brand new, three months before Brendan was born. It's got 320,000 miles on it, and everything still works on it. It's surreal. So you go, wow, well, wow. That's the Lord's blessing. I'm telling you, it is. And I, I like, I don't want to give it up. There's too much sentimental value in there. Like, We've traveled all over the country with that thing. Um, so let me read Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, and then I'm going to go right into Psalm 128, and read verses 1 through 4. Here's what it says. Behold, children are a gift. The Hebrew word is a heritage, and inheritance of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is not a curse. It's a reward. <laughs> like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. I never used to think like this at all. (laughs) I can tell you something. So my parents were upper middle class, and when I got the reversal and told them that we were pregnant again, here's my mother's first word. How is that possible? (laughs) I said, it's possible because of surgery. (laughs) And she's like, well, how are you going to take care of them? And my parents were terrified that we were going to become white trash and live out on a park somewhere in a little travel trailer and they were going to have to support us. But that that's a real thing. My parents thought that. But the Lord said, "No, I'm going to take care of what I order. And you do what I told you to do, and I'll do what I said I would do." And so he he has there are a blessing and inheritance fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hands of a warrior so are the children of one's youth how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them they will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate and i'm going right now into psalm 128 how blessed is everyone who fears the lord who walks in his ways want want to encourage you to ask the lord to impart his passion i mean most of you that are here you probably already feel some of this or you wouldn't be here But this is the ways of the Lord. It doesn't necessarily make sense to the mind. So for me, like I didn't have a a doctor degree. I didn't have this promising career as, you know, some kind of professional. I was a stinking tree digger. (laughs) That's what I was. Who made hardly any money, worked my tail off, but I didn't make any money. And I couldn't figure out how to do business. And I can tell you that the Lord's favor began to breathe down on me. When, when we walked, in his ways, began to embrace his values. Um, when you hear, I'm sorry, when when you shall eat the fruit of your hands, you'll be happy, and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Yes, baby, that's you. Your children, like olive plants around your table, behold, for thus is the, shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So, So this is a picture of a fruitful vine and of olive plants. This is a picture of flourishing in the house. There is life. I can tell you that things don't grow because of pressure. Things grow because there's a life flow there. And when God breathes on it and we walk in his ways and we choose his ways, then his life flow is there and there's a flourishing and our heart is for every family to flourish in their child-rearing, in their marriages. Like We have a huge heart and passion for that because that is the ways of the Lord that he's taught us. We'll not be ashamed. So this, this goes into the whole atmosphere thing, right? You've heard me talk about that in my journey of child-rearing. We're kind of doing an overview tonight and just kind of setting the stage and, and talking about bigger categories that we'll, t- we'll dig into and drill down into in, in a lot more detail as we move forward. Um, but th- my journey, and many of you have heard me tell you this, like I felt totally inadequate as a dad. I did not know how to raise my kids in the, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord at all. I didn't have any training. My dad wasn't a godly man. Um, Diane's family was a train wreck. And didn't have any um, mentors So the church, the Assembly of God church that I was at, the first church that I ever went to after the Lord apprehended me where I met Diane, I asked three of the elders in that church, they called them, they were deacons, whatever. um, I asked three of them there if they would mentor me, and all three of them said no. So, like, I didn't have any mentoring. Um, I think they were afraid. You know, I don't I don't throw them under the bus. I, th- I think they didn't know what to do with that, and they didn't know how to do it. But um, I didn't have that. The Lord actually showed me. So when it came to children, I cried out to the Lord. I say every, every day just about I would get up and pray. And, I, you know, the more children we had, we started having more now. We're on, on this path of having more children. Landon's is born. And I'm crying out, God, how do I raise these children for you? I don't know what I'm doing. I really don't know what I'm doing. I'm not being falsely humble. I don't know. And the Lord was like, I know, you don't. you don't. You're clueless as can be. I'm like, I am clueless. I don't know what I'm doing. How do I do this? And this is the revelation that I got from the Lord. Like he dropped, he, here's the thing about the Lord. When he drops one little bit of wisdom and light inside of you, it can change your whole world. And this changed my whole world. He dropped this inside of me one day when I'm crying out and groveling, (laughs) you know, before him like that. He said, if you will create an atmosphere in your home where the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell, then I will do in your children what you can never do. That was a game changer for me. I'm like, oh, it's all about the atmosphere. We just need to create an atmosphere. And so we became real intent on that. We're going to create an atmosphere in our home where the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell. So that includes a lot of different things. And we'll talk about those things moving through these sessions. But that's the key. What needs to happen inside of our children, we can't do it. Only God can do it. Because only God, the Holy Spirit, can reveal Jesus Christ in those little hearts. We can make them walk in lockstep. We can train the outward. We can control them when they're little to some degree. But we can't reach into the inner parts of their heart and reveal Jesus to them. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And so we're desperate to have an atmosphere in our home where the Holy Spirit comes in and regularly dwells there. And he can reveal Jesus to our children. That's what we desperately need. And by the grace of God, look, y'all, we're, we're just as surprised at all of this as, as you are. But, I mean, we've raised seven children. And this is truly to the glory of God. And the only explanation is God. But they all love Jesus passionately. And they're all raising their own children to love Jesus passionately. Every single one of them is following him with all their heart. Like, that's amazing. Amazing. That's not because we're going to write a book on parenting and we have it all down. It's not. It's because God had pity on a knucklehead and said, I hear your heart and I'm going to come and I'm going to do this because this is what I want. And he revealed himself to our children. And they, like, like you can force it. And I've watched this and you have too. You, you can force them into, you know, you you pray the prayer and then you do this little thing. But. But the reality is, unless the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to them, they can pray the sinner's prayer a thousand times, and they're not going to know him. So.
1: Can I just say that me being more of the, coming from the train wreck home, like Barry likes to say, chaotic upbringing, um, never knew what was happening, um, I really did want to control that. I was like, they're understanding, like, can we go ahead and, like, share the gospel with them and, and may have them come to the Lord and, you know, see if they want to come to the Lord? And and was like, no. I'm like What? What? Why aren't we going to do that? Like, of course we should do that. And he said, no. He's like, because we're praying for the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to them. And when they get saved, they are going to know they are saved. And I'm not saying, like, if you have done that and you're, Children are really little; that it's not true salvation, please, you know. But his conviction, which you know, I followed, um, was that we were really asking God to come in a in a powerful way. And they were older than I wanted them to be, you know. Most of them were six, seven, eight, you know. And I was hoping like they were going to get saved, all of them, by the time they were four, you know. But anyway. It was true salvation, though. They they all knew without a doubt that they were born again.
0: Yeah, and they would ask like, and cry,
1: like, I want to know Jesus.
0: I mean, on their own, it's a real thing. You go, well, you shouldn't have done that. Well, I don't know. I just had this thing in my heart, like, I want the Lord to show up to them and for me not to... Um, kind of force them to do a certain thing. I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying it's the right way, necessarily. I'm just saying I had that conviction. I was not going to do that. Now, we talk to them about the Lord all the time. We talk to them about Scripture. This is not like we didn't tell them the gospel and, and give understanding. And We lived before them our life that was <coughs> Christ-centered. But we did not, you know, take them by hand and, okay, pray with me right now, and now you're saved if you said that prayer because the reality is, I mean, we've observed lots and you guys probably have too where there's lots of children that when they're young they're told that okay if you prayed that prayer now you're saved and then they grow up and they they really don't have a real understanding of the lord and so they get drawn away to the world it's it's the holy spirit that has to make jesus real in every heart it's a miracle every single time and, you know, look, you'll, you'll have to navigate it yourself. This is the way I had this conviction in my heart. I didn't want to do this either with <clears> them. <throat> like, I'm not going to force them in in, in certain ways. I'm not going to force them. I want the Lord to draw them, and I want to see the fruit of that drawing. And when they express that fruit, then we went for, okay, this is the moment where God is bringing them to himself. He's revealing himself. And um, I had the... The blessing, the privilege, I baptized all of my kids in the swimming pool over the years. And um, when they came up out of the water, like, they're crying or speaking in tongues. I mean, it's, it's a real thing. Um, so, again, I know that might be controversial, but that's, that's, that's the way I had a conviction in my heart. Because I knew the Lord said, I'm going to make these children my own. And I'm like, oh, okay, you've shown yourself... Very faithful so far, and all of this other stuff. So I'm, I'm trusting you to do this thing too, Um, for sure. So we have a stewardship as parents to raise our children, and the main goal that we have is what. You know, my parents' main goal with me was that I would be cultured and that I would be successful in my career and all of that. And I'm not saying that that's not. Those aren't legitimate goals in one sense, but they're not the main goal. They're not the stewardship that God has given us. What he's given us a stewardship to do is to raise our children to know him, to love him, to follow him, to treasure him above everything else. And and that comes, how does that happen? How do we fulfill our stewardship? Well, I will say, first of all, (coughs) that you cannot idolize your children. This is a thing in Christian circles. We ran in homeschool circles for a long time. I saw tons of idolatry where parents idolized their children. And it's unhealthy as can be to do that. You can't really disciple your children and they be your idols at the same time. You can't do a good job. So, how do I know that? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 26 If anyone wants to be my disciple and follow me, he has to hate father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, and even his own life, or he can't follow me. Like, compared to our love for Jesus, our love for children is like hatred in comparison. Like, that's radical. That's radical, but that is the thing that God wants. Jesus is the supreme love of our life, and, you know, we can look at, maybe we'll read it now or maybe we'll read it in a later session because I'm, I'm in the ramble right now. But Deuteronomy chapter 6 is such a huge passage. So l- let me give you the three big categories and, and I'll I'll pick that up in just a second. There's three big categories of how we fulfill our stewardship as parents, okay? And, and there's lots of things in each category. I just want to bring out what those categories are tonight and explore them later. So So first one is in Um, Proverbs 23. I'm going to read verses 24 to 26. And, baby, interrupt me whenever. Okay, so Proverbs 23, 24 to 26. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who sires a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad. Let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Verse 26 is key. Give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. This whole issue of winning the hearts of your children is at the core of actually being able to disciple them well and raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You have to win their hearts. You can control them, usually, when they're young, By just brute force, you're bigger, you're going to make them do what you want them to do. You can control them and make them walk in lockstep and say all the right things and respond in the right ways. You can win that battle, but you can still lose your child. If you don't win their heart, you're not going to win your child. You have to win their heart. We talk. We talk. We use the language of heartstrings, tying heartstrings to them. This is the relational aspect of parenting that is a win, where God gets what He wants to out of your children. There has to be the relational aspect of heart connection to your children. There's hindrances and there's helps to that. We'll talk about those moving forward. What are some of the things that cut heartstrings? Well, you know what some of them are. Anger is is a big thing that cuts heartstring. I'll tell you what else. Hypocrisy. This is the amazing thing about your kids, and you know this if you've had them very long. They know exactly who you are. Like you can go to church and praise you, Jesus. And then they see you at home acting the fool and being harsh and unloving and critical, and they go, huh? They see you when you get out of bed with the bedhead and you're t- fumbling for your coffee. They, they know who you are exactly. And, and we don't perceive how much our kids watch us and they know exactly who we are. So if we're not authentic in our relationship with Jesus, they can spy every bit of that out. And hypocrisy turns them off because they go, oh, they're just play acting. They're not really real. They, this whole thing about Jesus is not really real on them. That's a huge thing that cuts heartstrings. If we disrespect our children and we don't treat them with respect, I don't mean that we don't have authority, but we there's a way to carry authority with your children where you don't disrespect them. Shut up! You, you know what happens every time that happens? It's like, boom. Heartstrings are cut. Your connection with them and your ability to woo them to the Lord, you just cut off part of that. Heartstrings get cut, not keeping your word. Oh, Saturday, we're gonna go to the park. And then Saturday morning comes, nah, I'm actually too tired or we got something else going on. Bam, cut, cut that heartstring. It's important, keep your word to your children. Think about what you're saying to them before you make a promise, because it matters to them. They remember that when they're adults. Mm-hmm. And it's super important. Know
1: if you've got not embarrassing them.
0: Yeah, yeah, I do have that on there. Shaming them, huge fail. If you shame them in public to their friends, even if you you know you think it's a cute little joke or whatever, oh yeah, a little you know little Billy whatever he's fat or you know something like that, or he did some foolish thing, or you know, he went in the bathroom and he peed on the floor. Saying that in front of anybody, but especially his peers, huge cutting of the heartstrings, like. Do not shame your children. They will remember that their whole life, and they will respond to altar calls as adults for wounding that they got from their parents. That kind of stuff is the things that they, they respond to the altar call. Like, it wounded them. So just, you know, we need to be intentional about thinking um, of, of those heartstrings, neglecting them, not looking at... So So this was a deal with me, and my wife has helped me immensely in lots of... These areas, for sure. But I would come home after working a brutal day out in the hot sun. I might have gotten up at 3 or 3.30 in the morning to draw landscape plans and then went out there and worked until 7 at night and come in, and I'm just spent. And she would gently help me, like, baby, when you walk in, it's so important to the kids that you look into their eyes and greet them. My eyes are bloodshot but you greet them and that means so much to them if you just make sure you're intentional about noticing them and saying hey how are you I love you those things mean a lot to them if they feel like they're neglected or they're you know you're you're in the way or you're an inconvenience it cuts those strings you don't want you want to maintain as many of those heartstrings as you can get cuz that's your connection to them, and that's the influence ultimately that we have with our children. If we cut the heartstrings, we're cutting the influence that we have with them. And we want to tell them all about Jesus, but they're thinking, "You cut heartstrings every day, all day long, and now you want me to come to Jesus? Like, why would I do that?" There is a, there is a connection there. If we disrespect them for harsh with them, and have I failed? In all of those areas, yes. Is God a redeemer? Yes. Here's another way that you cut heartstrings is that when you screw up and your kids know that you have, you don't repent. The best thing you can do to take away the cutting of that heartstring is to repent and say, I'm so sorry that I said that. I should not have done that. I do love you, and I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? Like, that's kind of hard to say to your children, but it's so healing for them. Mm -hmm. That takes away the cut to where they don't respond to an altar call 15 years later that they were wounded by their parents. That's a real thing. Mm -hmm. Repentance takes that thorn out of their heart when you really do it. So, and they respect you for it, right? 100%, they do. They know, look, your kids know when you mess up, right? They know. So it's the elephant in the room at that point, and for you to not own that to them is, is a fail. So own it and repent to them. And kids are so gracious about forgiving you. They're like, oh, I forgive you, Daddy. Oh, thank God. Um, it's beautiful. Okay, so the relational aspect of heartstrings, this is a big part. I'm saying it's one of the, the big three categories of parenting to raise our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is to make sure that we have heartstrings connected. The second one is the whole arena of discipline, of teaching, of structure, of boundaries, okay? We can put lots of names on that. This is the external thing. The the heartstrings is the internal relational aspect of our parenting. The discipline, teaching, structure, boundaries is the external aspect of Our parenting it's really important I was telling Diane today that I feel like in in the current generation probably and maybe I'm not right in this just in my observation that parents are more in tune with the heartstring aspect of it but like they're not really they feel like if they set boundaries and they discipline and they instruct and they actually um, you know apply consequences to behavior that they're cutting heartstrings and that's not true you have to have both of those working at the same time because you they have a flesh and they have self-will and the Lord commands us as parents to subdue that. But you do it maintaining heartstrings. This is, this is the, the tension and the difficulty and it's, you know, th- there's a delicate balance there and we want to talk about those issues as well as we move forward but but so you've got the relational heartstrings aspect you have the external structure discipline obedience aspect that is all important as well and then the last one is our example the way that we live our life as parents and so this I will read Deuteronomy chapter 6 just to remind you this is a core passage for every Jewish person The Shema. In which is here, in Hebrew. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. Hear, O Israel: The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And listen, listen to the order of this. So important. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the top of the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What is this talking about? This is talking about our example and the way that we live out our relationship with Jesus. It has to be real and authentic. It's not perfect. So I will say this multiple times during these sessions. Perfection is not an option. But direction is an option. And connection is an option. So we're not saying if we're perfect. Like, guys, if you saw us on our bad days raising our kids, you'd go, oh, my God. You'd be horrified. <laughs> you'd go, oh, I can't believe that they said that or that they did that. It's a real thing. We we made lots of mistakes in our parenting, 100% true. But the Lord is a redeemer, and, again, if you repent, you can pull those thorns out, and you can go back and make the slate clean again and start again and go back to the Lord again, but our example is all important. And if we love the Lord, in parenting, values are caught more than they're taught. The values that our children pick up are what they actually observe in our lives more than what we teach them. They're both of those things are needed, but they observe us And the Lord created their little hearts to observe their mommy and daddy and to learn how to do it. So we can instruct them, but if our life is contrary to that, then it's going to be a confusing message to them. Um, Babe, you...
1: Well, I think that what I have here actually links up more with the atmosphere and tying heartstrings. Um, So, But I'll go ahead and share it. Um, Bring up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Uh, We tend sometimes to focus on the admonition. And sometimes what I hear from parents is, you know, tell me what to do to correct this wrong attitude or this behavior that's driving me crazy or that's embarrassing me, this behavior that's stressing me out. And unconsciously, we can view our children as things that need to be fixed. Or we compare them with other kids' behavior or academic achievements, like they are products that we're measuring. Well, they're they're not anything to be fixed, and they're not anything to be measured. They are souls to be nurtured. Nurtured and loved. And I just think it's so beautiful what Jesus said in Luke 9, 48, and I have it memorized out of the Living Bible, but, he, um, but what he's saying is, in loving and caring for our children, we are actually caring for God. That is what is True. Jesus said in Luke 9, 48, whoever cares for a little child like this is caring for me. And whoever cares for me is caring for God who sent me. He said, your care for others is the measure of your greatness. Not what your salary is, isn't the measure of your greatness, your academic achievements are not the measure of your greatness. How famous you are, whatever. You guys can fill in the blanks. What is the measure of your greatness is serving and caring. Like that's, what, that's how Jesus looks at that. And so many times our children and caring for them, it just takes a lot of time. A lot of time. But that's how they those little minds spell love. T-I-M-E. Lots of time. And, um, yeah, so we just want to encourage you with all this. Like it's not so many times, you know, you hear of a parenting class and you think, okay, well, I'm going to get all these tools and then I'm going to know what I can need to implement at home so my kids will start obeying me more and we'll have a more peaceful household. But what we want to do is just like strip a little bit of that away and just say you know what take a deep breath slow down this is going to take time it's going to take time to get God's heart you know for your child and just um, giving your children the time and making the time for those connections and if you think about it I was talking to my son Landon one time he's like yeah mom God's got time he said, he grows things. And I love that. Yeah, God grows things. He's not in a hurry. Like Barry was saying, it's not about the pressure and the stress and we got to get this done and we got to do it all perfectly. No, like you can let that go too. You really don't have to be a perfect parent. You, you don't. You're not going to ruin your kids because you yelled today like you're not what's going to it's it's perfection is not an option it really is the direction it's really like what your what your mo is in the day in and the day out and them seeing that you really do love Jesus first of all and you really do love them
0: and just finally for tonight and then we'll, we'll take a break and then we'll maybe do some Q&A and, and uh some prayer but you're you're sowing into eternity with your children i, I will say this um, I've been in ministry for however many decades, whatever, and I I know I don't say I believe I know that the most significant thing that I have ever done with an eternal that's going to have eternal impact is to raise my children for Jesus. Way more than any conference, may way more than any. Series of messages, any preaching, anything like that. Like, to me, there's not even a close, there's not even close the weight of eternity of raising children for Jesus compared to all other ministry put together. That's a real thing. I would trade my kids like that for anything and everything else. There's no comparison. The Lord and what He's done in them, and listen. Here's the thing; it keeps going. So their children, and their children, and you multiply it out, and the impact that God is going to have is multiplied exponentially. You can chase down. So you know this has been done with with Jonathan Edwards, tracing down his line, his family line. Okay, so Edwards had so many children. Um, he and and his wife, Sarah. Um, and out of his lineage, from that godly family, you can see there's come presidents, vice presidents, X amount of senators, college presidents, all this stuff, people that are influencers in the culture who have influenced the entire country for the Lord came from that lineage. That's powerful. And you don't know all of the influence that can happen. The Lord has intended the best possible way. We're called to make disciples. But the first way and the best way and the most powerful and the most important way that we must make disciples is our own children. There is nothing that compares to that. As far as the investment, there's nothing that compares to the power of that in the kingdom of God and what the Lord is doing in the world. Like It's awesome. It really is. You guys... We want you to be encouraged. The Lord is on your side. His heart is for you. He's going to help you whatever you need. He's going to give you the resource, the wisdom, the strength, the finances. He's going to help you. And it's worth it. You're sowing. This is what I tell young parents all the time when they're going through it. I see the look in the eye. I know I know that look. Like listen. You're sowing into eternity and you will never regret it. I've told people many times, you know I've had people tell me all these, "Oh, you're never going to retire, you've got seven kids. Oh. I'm like, you know what? I don't care. Of all the things that I've done in my life, I've regretted a number of them, but one thing I've never regretted, a sing for a single second is raising seven children to love Jesus. you guys let's take a break and then we'll come back and see about some Q&A if you don't mind gather back up and um if you have a a question or a particular situation with a child that you'd like to um, talk about or you just have a general question about anything said or any other question yeah, or you just want to pray for something? Like, yes, sir. Can you come to the mic and then we can? It'll be recorded for people.
1: So, my you <laughs> want me to ask you right here in front of you like this? Stuff. So, oh, that was that was a lot. So, my question was. Um, so, with, I know you mentioned, and I know a little bit of your story, but with, with being so busy, being a business owner ob- and operator, obviously, was, so it's twofold, was, was, was it difficult and challenging to make a connect, to maintain and make a connection with how busy you were? And then I have a follow question.
0: 100% uh, yes. I, you have to be intentional. I mean, during those years mostly, I didn't have any hobbies or anything else that I did. I that that's really a true thing, um, and I just concentrated on doing what I had on my plate with the job, and then I everything else was really given to the Lord and to my family um, during those years. Most of the child rearing years, we home churched, and um, that made it a little bit easier in in one regard because. I was able to, this was a big value to me. Like, I wanted my kids. I, I told Diane, like, I don't want my kids to learn. This This sounds crazy, okay? I'm an elder here at Heart of Father, but <coughs> this is a real thing. I don't want my kids to learn to church Jesus. And what I meant by that was I don't want them to go and learn the 66 books and learn the, the songs and the words and all, but it's not. They haven't encountered the reality of the living God in their heart. And so they think that because they've experienced some external things, that now they, they're they walking with God and they really know him. I didn't, I didn't want that. And um, so I wanted them to see their dad worship because we were, we didn't have much, so we had me as the worship leader and then me teaching the Bible, so it wasn't awesome. But um, I wanted them to see their dad worshiping Jesus and crying because it's real. I wanted them to see their dad sharing the word of god because it's alive and on fire in my heart not because i'm doing it as a job and getting paid for it and be able to have that opportunity so you can do that in your in your home and that's a big value they they see if it's real in you you know it's different if it's in church but if you're sitting there in your in your living room and, and it's happening that was like a huge value to me i believe that that was impactful to my children to see that it was real in inside of me and um you know the, the busyness aspect of it was difficult. I will say that Diane did an amazing job of helping to bridge the gap because I was there was long days there, and you know, I mentioned this the other Sunday that you know, I'd work long days and my kids would miss me, but she would like put the positive spin on it. I mean, it wasn't deception, but it was real. Like, instead of whining about why is dad late, let's just be thankful that he's working so hard to take care of us, and, and they really adopted that. The, the tone that Diane set in our home, this is, a, this is so true. And the reason that my kids love and honor me that the way they, they do today is in large part because of how she spoke about me when I wasn't there. You, you know, your kids pick up, and, and I, I cringe when I see this, if, if moms are talking about the dad that's not there and they roll their eyes, I'm like, oh, don't do that. Don't do that because your kids are picking up an attitude from you that you don't respect your husband and so why should I respect my daddy? It's really important. So the way that she spoke about me, and she would ask them, I'd be at work and she'd say, you know, this, in this situation, what do you think daddy would want us to do? Like that was so huge. It seems like a small thing, but that made them endeared to me. So, I mean, that wasn't something that I did, but I'm just saying that there's kind of a, there's a teamwork there, and, and Diane um, did an amazing job of connecting my children's heart to me even when I wasn't able to be there all of the time that I would have wanted to. So that was a big deal.
1: Okay, and I just want to add on to that another way that with his busy schedule, what he did to really connect the kids' hearts to him. So he played games with them. Not every single night, but at least one night a week, and when it was possible, it would be more nights. He would play games with them. Um, if he's gonna go to his Holden area, he's like, "Hey, who wants to go to the Holden area? Who wants to drive an old Betsy? I do, I do." They jump in, and and then on the way home, you know, he'd always have to go by Circle K or somewhere and buy them all yoo-hoo or whatever they wanted to drink, and they just had a great time hanging out with dad. And they'd come home and they'd be like, "Oh well, we're gonna eat dinner, and you you just had a yoo-hoo, huh?" <laughs> but. You know, praise God for the Holy Spirit who helps you keep your mouth shut when you need to keep your mouth shut. So <laughs> I didn't say anything about that. I was like, you know what? No, he's really smart. He's tying heartstrings, and that is far more important than them eating all their dinner. So praise God for my husband and that wisdom. And even if it was late at night, um, yeah, they they all knew how hard he worked, and if it's, you know, and they might have had something, even as teenagers, they might have had going to teen court or going to a friend's house or going to one of their meetings, their homeschool meetings, right, Leah? And um, 10 o'clock at night, and they get home and, like, oh, is dad in bed? Oh, I wanted to ask him about something. Barry would never refuse them. It didn't matter how tired he was, it did not matter. It could be midnight. If the kids ever wanted to talk to him, he's up. Yeah, tell him to come on in. I'm, uh, I'll talk to him. I'll pray with them. Like, any time. Always an open door. Always willing. It didn't matter how tired he was, if he was sick. Like, it just didn't matter. Like, he's like, I'll, you know I'll do anything for you. Like, he made sure, like, he always connected in that way. And I think they all, they still will call him and ask him about things. You know, they want to talk to Dad. And um, Anyway... That was another thing that he did.
0: Yeah, well, and one of the things that, again, you just compensate the best you can. You know, you wish you had more time. I mean, I, I did, but um, just trying to do what you had on your plate and you go, well, why didn't you just cut time? You know, it's like riding on a train at 90 miles an hour and go, why don't you just jump off? It's gonna, like, well, it's really hard. So when you have your own business, uh, i just saying, it's a, it's a different dynamic, but uh, I did try to be intentional about connecting with them and looking them in the eye, and I had regular times where I would look them all in the eye (coughs) and say, uh, I love you with all my heart, and I will do anything for you. And that made a connection. Also, when they were younger, we read like book series. We'd read Little House on the Prairie, all the books. there. there. Dad, will you read? Will you read? And so that was a big deal. I'd be uh, almost unconscious but I'd be like reading anyway. <coughs> um, so th- I mean, those kinds of things. You d- you do what you can to make those connections and think, you know, the heartstrings are are huge, um, in in those moments. And, and you just do the best you can. The, there's no easy answer. It's it's not easy. But again, prioritizing it and it being a real thing in your heart is they they pick that up. And it you know, y- your heart makes up for sometimes lack of quantity that you would want to have mm-hmm. if, if if you're really intentional about connecting. That was a follow up question.
1: Create any creative things that you came up with to make those connections. I think you answered it in some some way
0: that you
1: Okay.
0: All right. Yeah, come on up t- if you don't mind. This way on the podcast people are here. So Barry and Diane, what did your time look like with the Lord during these busiest of seasons with, you know, a few or several young ones with work schedule with, you know, 15 hours of parenting? What did your time with the Lord look like during those seasons? Yeah. (coughs) I'd love to say it was perfectly consistent, but that's not true. Um it was um, sporadic you know you try to maintain that connection with the lord throughout the day and practice the presence as brother lawrence would say and there's something to be said for that but it's not enough you know that um but having intentional time with the lord um you know I, i don't know how to answer that except to say that you just do the best you can and and be intentional when you when you can um whenever I had, you know, mostly probably on weekends for me, but I tried to, when I got up in the morning, at least, at least get up and get on my knees and put my face on the ground and say, God, I need you today. <laughs> I need you. you know. Oh, you know how much I need you today. So something like that. And, you know, very often it was more, but I would try to start out the day like that and then of course if I was driving during the day I would try to sometimes listen to scripture I know I had CDs back in the day <coughs> on Bible CDs and listen um, or, or preaching sometimes um, but then be intentional when I could when I was home um, I tried to carve out I mean there was a time where it was really this is a different story I don't want to get off on too much of a ramble where I got into a trouble because I was working so much And it's hard, like if you haven't run a small business, you don't realize how hard this is. But you don't want to say no. When you've starved for so many years and then you have customers, you don't want to tell them no because there's a ripple effect. It's not just the one job, it's all the jobs that they'll give you. And so it's really hard to do that. And during the housing um, run on the housing market and from like 2000 to 2006, it was crazy. I was working probably 65 hours a week doing that and doing church. Um, And it was really, really hard. And the Lord, uh, you know, I was telling the Lord the story like, um, you know, the train's going 90 miles an hour. Like, I'm taking care of my family, but I don't know how to stop this train. And I can't, if I jump off, I'm going to die. And if I don't jump off, I'm going to die. So what's the option? Um, I felt like that,
1: and he really felt like the Lord was dealing with him about his time. Like you have got to take off more time to spend with me.
0: And I, and I didn't know how to do it, for sure. So, I mean, do you guys want to hear the story? I mean, I'll tell you the story. This was a was a massive dealing of God in my life, and it's it's not pretty, but it, it turned out good. Um. So I was in this swirl of like, how do I how do I stop and, and get off? And I knew I'm the guy who taught about. You know, we need to prioritize our time with the Lord, our time in the secret place, and make sure our relationship with the Lord is the number one priority. And here I'm running at 90 miles an hour and working, you know, working really hard. And so I'm exhausted by the time I get home. And I didn't know what to do. And one day, um, this was 2004, I think. It was 2004. Um, I got just crazy random, seemed like, I got a bladder infection. Guys don't get bladder infection, that's what girls get. So, but it was really painful, and then I thought that's what it was, and I ended up having to go to the hospital a couple times, so i be, just be real here since we're married people for the most part, but, like, I had to get catheterized a couple times because I couldn't pee. Like, that's really distressing. Um, and so, There was a bad infection. I had a prostate infection that was raging. And I got so sick finally, like I don't get fevers very easily, but like my fever would, my my temperature would be normal, and five seconds later, this is what it was like. It felt like a volcano rush would come and my head would get red and hot and my temperature would be 103, like that fast. It was crazy. And finally I was like I went to the doctor he gave me he goes look you take these antibiotics he goes I really should put you in the hospital but I'm gonna give you one more chance this these are $10 a pill antibiotics take this tech one and if this doesn't fix it then you're gonna have to go in the hospital so I took that for 10 days and I started to feel better and then I took a nose dive again and I was super sick and I finally told Diane I said just, just take me to the hospital. If you can tie me to the bumper and drag me. Just get me down there. Like I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. I went into the hospital, and I was, you know, the infection was raging. I was in a lot of pain. It was severe pain, more than I've ever had in my life. And I've broken my wrist and different stuff. But it was seriously painful. They were giving me narcotics um, to ease the pain, um, but. They would only give it to me every other hour so in the hour in between i would be in agonizing pain and they were giving me the three strongest antibiotics that they had two oral and one iv i was on iv all the time they're taking my blood every morning to check for the white blood cell count and every morning it was sky high and so the doctor comes in and i had been in there at this point for maybe five days and they're doing this and he comes in one morning Um, after they had taken the blood at 5 a.m. every morning, and he came in one day, and he goes, "Um, you are so full of antibiotic that there should not be one living germ left in you. Now, why aren't you getting better? This is the doctor. I said, dude, you're making the big bucks. (laughs) You better find out, and if you can't find out, you better get me to somebody who can And he talked about, like, flying me to Tampa, for real. I mean, he he said, if we can't get this infection under control and it gets into your bloodstream, he goes, they will ship you off to a laboratory and watch you die. This is a doctor. Like, what kind of bedside manner is this? (coughs) Um, So I said, I don't know. Just you need to figure it out and help me to get better. I was in serious pain. Um, Diane was concerned that I was going to die. I was wondering, because the infection was just, it was so bad. Like, I had never been that sick in my life. And one day, I went into the restroom, and the worst part of the any day, <laughs> there was a lot of things that happened in between. It was really, like, you you, you know, in the hospital, like, you, all your dignity gets just thrown out the window right away. Like, he brought in a whole host of nurses to watch him pierce through my stomach into my bladder, like, and stick a tube in there, right? I'm like... Okay, whatever, I don't care. Like, and then I get doused in, like in, with urine, and I'm just covered with it. He goes, clean them up. I'm like, "What, am I do? Like, do you have Morgan and Morgan's number right now? Like, <laughs> what in the world? <coughs> I'm serious. I was like, but I was just too sick to, to, to care. Um, so the worst part of every day was trying to have a bowel movement. It was so terribly painful. Pressure there because the, the pain was just severe, it was like a knife. And so, I went in and I'm sitting in the bathroom. Okay, and it's just real raw, but this is what happened. And I sat down there and I knew that the Lord was dealing with me about my time schedule, and about my time with Him. And I'm trying to figure it out. I was like, God, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm the guy who has to run this business, I've got to make sure payroll is met for all these guys. And what what do I do? My biggest customer, you know, is telling us the houses are running so much, like they call us in there and go, okay, you're going to have to do 12 houses a week, and then 15, and then 18. I'm like, wait, do, do you know how many hours are in a week? Like, they don't care. You have to get it done. It was just crazy like that. So I'm telling the Lord, like, I don't, I don't know what to do. How do, I, how do I do this? I knew he was dealing with me, and I sat there, and I said, Lord, I know that you're dealing with me about this. Would you help me? And I don't know why I prayed this, but I said, God, would you help me to remember how much this hurts so that I will remember how important this is to you? And when I said that, God's my witness, Jesus walked through the door of that bathroom, and he was right. I mean, I didn't see him with my eye, but it is the most radical encounter I've ever had in my life with the Lord. He walked through that door, and he was standing there in his presence, and he started to talk to me. And he, he started out like this. He, he, he commended me for the things that I was doing well. One of them was I was love my wife and raise my children. Think, you know, he, I commend you for that. And he said to me, but you have been unfaithful in the use of your time. And then he paused. And I'm like, and? And he said, <laughs> this still washes over me. He said, but I've decided to show you mercy. And when he said that, I just erupted in sobbing and weeping, and I could not stop. And I'm thinking in my mind, the nurses are going to hear and think I've fallen down, and they're going to come in and break the door down. Because I'm just sobbing hysterically because Jesus told me that he decided to show me mercy because I knew and all of the things, I remembered every message that I had ever preached about prioritizing time with the Lord and relationship with him. And all of that rushed over me. And I knew at that moment that if he let me die, he would have been completely justified because I was being unfaithful with what I knew. But I didn't know how to fix it. He said, but I have decided to show you mercy. He said, we're going to fix it. That's what he told me. We're going to fix this. And I'm going to restore you and heal you and raise you up and make you stronger than you were before. He spoke that word to me. And I saw for probably a good five, maybe ten minutes. I don't remember how long. I cried like a baby. It just, my heart just erupted like the realization of the mercy of God washed over me like he, she, he should have and could have let me die and would have been totally justified. And when I got myself together, I got I got back to the bed and I called Diane because I knew she was afraid that I was going to die. And I told her, I said, baby, in choking fact, the tears, I said, I'm not going to die. Jesus told me that he's going to raise me up and I'm not going to die. I wanted to tell her because I knew she was concerned. The next morning, when they came to take the blood, my white blood cell count had plummeted, and the next morning, it was normal. Mm. And the next day, I went home. Dude, that was an encounter. Like You tell people that, and they're like, (sighs) I mean... It's it still, I tell it to this day, it washes over me. So how did I figure it out? <laughs> after that, I was like, Lord, you really don't need me in this business, do you? Because I, I was out for a month. 30 days was I out. I had to have IV antibiotics for 30 more days after I got out. And so I couldn't go into work, and I had to rely on my guys. And I was just like, you know what? If it goes, it goes. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm alive. <laughs> I felt like it's a wonderful life. I'm alive. <laughs> you know? That's how I felt. And um, so the Lord showed me, like, you know what? I really don't need you. Like, it's really okay. You just need to obey me. I really don't need you. I can do this by myself. I can be God all by myself without your help. And so I said, Lord, I'm going to. One of the things that he showed me was I needed to take a whole day as a Sabbath day and just dedicate that mostly to him, to rest, but also to now spend that time with him, make sure I – was intentional about that. And so I did that. And, and even after that, you would think after that encounter that that would have made it easy like <laughs> for the rest of your life. It wasn't. Business still crept in. and I'm like, how do I do this? And people are calling and you're like, well, when am I going to do this? And, I, and it was still a struggle. It was really, really difficult even after that. And I didn't navigate it perfectly even after that. But it made a really strong impression on me and, um, you know, I don't know. It's not easy. It's never easy. There's not an easy answer of how do you navigate this perfectly. I've not navigated it perfectly, even after that encounter that I had with the Lord. Like it was still, there were still times when I set it apart. And there was so many times when I said to the Lord, Lord, you know, I set this whole day apart for you, but my truck's on fire out there. You know, I mean, I've got to go. <laughs> There's some emergency or my guy's in the hospital or, you know, some crazy thing. I said, Lord, I can't help this. Like I tried, I scheduled this, on a, and he's like, "It's okay." That's what I want. I want your obedience. I want your heart to set. It. But anyway, that's a, that's kind of a long ramble. I don't tell that story much. Um, it's it's actually very holy to me, but um, also, you know, sometimes people think, "Oh my God, I'm gonna die!" You know, it's not, it's it's not that. Jesus is amazing. His mercy, like, it really, it washes over me. Whenever I tell that, I could cry and sob again. I feel that when he said those words. You can't imagine when he paused, I did not know what he was going to say next. And I was like, (laughs) when he said, I've decided to show you mercy.
1: That was a hard time. (laughs) Um, So, for me, yeah, with the kids, like I would have to get up before they got up, or I didn't have any time. And honestly, like I just felt so desperate for help and for wisdom and for direction um, that it usually wasn't a problem. You know, to make sure that I got up, you know, usually it would mean getting up at six. And then there would be special seasons, you know, where just a strong drawing of the Lord and I might get up at four or five, you know, just because he was breathing on me. I couldn't do that by myself, you know, but sometimes he would allow me to do that. And then a lot of times I would just ask the Lord, like, Father, show me what my window is. Give me a window. Give me a witness in my spirit. I'm going to be looking for my window to get down on my knees, and whether it's five minutes or you expand the five minutes and it's 20 minutes, like whatever you want it to be, but just show me what my window is. And I have a chair in my room, and I would just, you know, pass that chair. I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit, is it time? Are you going to give me five minutes, and are the kids going to be okay for five minutes while I get down on my knees and I would honestly feel like a prompting of the Holy Spirit and I get down on my knees and it could be five minutes it could be ten minutes before I hear like okay I'm needed or just that the Lord was like okay we're done but you know I felt like so many times as a mom at home and it it is practicing the presence like Barry's saying like you get up in the morning or you're you know you're going about the day and you're doing laundry and dishes or whatever and you're you know, you're fellowshipping with the Lord as you're going about your day, but um, I felt like so often it was like the widow's mite, and that he was saying, like, okay, you know, this is, this is what I'm looking for, this is what, and for me, like, this is more than enough, like, he's, I don't know, I felt like he was pleased with that, and I think I was also, like, in a very different place than Barry, because, like, okay, I'm home with the kids, and and, and we usually had devotions in the morning, so I wanted to make sure, like, I was spending time with the Lord, and I had something fresh, because, you know, the letter kills, but it's the Spirit that gives life, so if I don't have something fresh from the Lord, you know, then we just might as well skip devotions that day, you know, but I wanted it to be fresh, so that was, in, like, extra motivation for me, like, just to... because of wanting to have that time with the Lord, but then also like to want to have something like to share with the children. So it was, you know, basically what we're saying is like, it's all over the place (laughs) and not all cut and dry, you know?
0: Yeah, and just to close out here, I want to encourage all the moms and even the dads, the Lord honors whatever time we give to him. And I've had the Lord speak that to me because I was like, tell him, like, oh Lord, you know, this is, there's not much of me left here. And honestly, like, I prayed 95% of my time walking because I would fall asleep if I sat down. I was so tired. Moms can relate to this, dads can relate to this. But I felt like the Lord definitely spoke to me and said, You give me what you have, and the widow's might is more than all that the others have given because it's all that they have. You give me what you have, and I'm good with that. And so you don't have to measure it by time, going, yeah, there's been seasons in my life where I prayed for six hours straight in tongues. Yeah, that's awesome. But those times of those five minutes or ten minutes that I gave to the Lord when I was so exhausted were probably more precious and more valuable to him than, the, you know what I'm saying? He doesn't look the same way that we do. So he wants our heart, and if our heart is towards him and we give him what we have, He's honored by that, and he's blessed by that, and it's good in his sight. So bless you guys. All right, we'll pick up next time. Thank you.